Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you listen to the last episode where I talked about my new treasure and prize, the GP2710? Oh, my God. I'm in love with this bugger. Absolutely in love. And I'm sitting here checking it out again, saying, hmm, where could I buff it a little more and make it even more perfect than it already is? Hmm. Okay, the side's got a few little scratches. I took some out, but I see a few more. You got to look at the edges. That's where it usually get the wears on the edges of the lugs, which here are perfect. The bezel, which is, oh, my bezel could use another buff. It's got a, eh, it's good. It's got a few minor hair scratches on it. And then I told you the bezel on the top at 12 o'clock still has a few little dings inside. I could get out more. But I said you got to be very careful how you work with these things because if you buff them too much, it heats up the watch, number one. And I don't know what that does to the movement inside. You know, what does it do? You got oil and stuff in there. It probably makes it run. It's probably not good. So you got to be careful. When I buff, I buff in like in layers. I do some, I stop, let it cool down, do it again, stop. Don't just sit there and keep, you know, really hitting it. They'll get very hot. Plus your hands are going to burn too. The metal conducts heat very well and gets very, very hot. So you really don't want to do that. But I mean, I can go back and then I check it. You know, I look at it. Does it need more? Does it need, should I stop? Is it doing anything? You know, you take your time. Believe me when I tell you, I have messed up enough watches buffing to learn. One of the things you got to be really careful about is trying to buff a plastic crystal. They will burn and melt. Had it happen to me. It was really horrible. So you got to, I know how to do it now, but you know, in the beginning I didn't. So I wish I could show you and sometime we will, we'll, we'll get there. It's just, I'm, you know, an old, I'm an old salty dog. What can I say? It's not that easy for me to just change over to something new. And plus, it takes a lot of work. Don't forget, um, these podcasts don't make money. This is me doing it out of just wanting to do it for everybody out there and enjoying it. And I really enjoy the feedback, by the way. For those of you that do give me some feedback, it's LeeJacksonWatches at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm on all of those. Don't ask me what I'm doing there, but I'm there. Okay, so the next thing I wanted to talk about, uh, last time around I talked about the Gerard Perigo that I got. And I was talking about what's in it. And it's a LaMagna Caliber 1872. I was going to read you some info because there's some really good info on this movement. It's an analog hand-wound movement. It's called LaMagna 1872. It's similar to the 1873 without the total... The hour totalizer. So that's the third register it's missing. Now it says there's another caliber here, Panerai. Okay, you know who Panerai is? Mm hmm. Panerai is that big watch that got popular with uh, Schwarzenegger and Stallone. And it was originally a Navy watch from World War II made by Rolex. And they brought it back because it's a big watch and it's kind of military. It's a very cool looking watch. They got all kinds of designs. But guess what? They use this movement in the Panerais. And Panerais are very expensive. 
their reference is called an OP-16. And the base of it is an 1872 Lemagna, which means they took an 1872 Lemagna and they changed it. They did something to it. You know, they added to it, did stuff, which is kind of cool. Okay, so let's go into it because I, I also found out that the South African Air Force uses this movement. The Lemagna made watches for the Swedish Air Force and the South African Air Force. And they look like big chronographs, big round chronographs. And they were big. The 1872 was the first dual pusher chronograph purchased for its pilots by the South African Air Force. It was issued to the Swedish Air Force in the mid-70s. Um, there's no civilian models of the Lemania 1872 that say Lemania on the dial. But companies like Tissot, a whole bunch had their own branded version made with this. Uh, the case on the South African one was a big case, the 1817 designed by EPSA that originated in 1968. And it's used on Breguet, Hoyer, Sin, and most notably La Magna. So these are big two reg chronographs with the old kind of round pushers. They made a 630 of them for the South African Air Force from 1971 to 76. Um, how many did they make for the Swedish Air Force? Didn't make that many, like a hundred. Most of them were made for the South African Air Force. Why they wanted it, I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. Okay, so that's interesting. And they made a lot of them for them. So what I'm trying to do is give you the info on this caliber that they use. Um... Here's a, re, this guy is writing about the two-pusher Lemania chronograph. And I don't want to go through this a second time, but the British military used the Lemania chronographs too. They're very good quality. Just think about it. Your fighting force is using a Lemania chronograph to time things like bombs going off, where you are, speed, these kind of things in battle, they have to be right. Um... Valjou, which is a ETA movement, is cheaper than La Magna. Yeah, I know. It's kind of wild, isn't it? They made a limited number of two-pusher chronographs for the military. I'm trying to find what else they made them for. I know they used them for Breguet, I think it was, but I will find out here. And then we're, I want to talk about... Some of the other stuff. Okay, here's more about Lemania, this chrono. Okay, founded in 1884. They were first options of many top-tier Swiss manufacturers, such as Patek Philippe, Vacheron Constantine, Omega, and Breguet. Now, that's big. That's big, 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 big. Um... Uh, the caliber 1872, uh, Gerard Perigo is a manual, manual winding chronograph adjusted to meet Gerard Perigo's standard with 17 joules, 21,600 vibrations per hour, 27.5 wide and 5.7 millimeters thin. That's the movement itself. 48 power, 48 hour power reserve. So when you wind this bugger up, it'll go for two days. 
just pretty amazing. And I'm looking at the back of my watch, not my exact one, but one, another, another model, and the same model, just another copy and pictures. Uh, typical layout has a central chronograph hand, two sub dials, one for non-hacking running seconds at nine o'clock, the other 30 minute counter at three o'clock. The current movement in the photos is operating impeccably with two seconds per day, which is what mine's doing. There's pictures of it. I love it. Such a nice, such a nice movement. It feels so good. And when you wear this thing, you feel like a million bucks. I'm telling you. Here's another article about it. Let me know if I'm boring you or not. Because this is what I do. When I get something like this, I start figuring it out. Inextricable are the names LaMagna and Omega, never far apart over the past hundred years. The former was a small specialist maker founded by Alfred Lugrin in 1918 as LaMagna Lugrin essay to concentrate on the production of chronographs at a time when everything from aviation to motor racing to military and sport requirements increased demand for this most useful of complications. Um, it came from the village of Orient in the Val Dios, Siberia, just east of where Orbi empties his chill flow in the La Duju. Sorry, my French isn't so great. With economic troubles looming, Omega joined forces with Tassot in February 1930, allowing them to pool their technical strength. Two years later, Lemagne made it a, made it a triumvirate, gaining a seat on the board um, of Omega. This secured for LaMagna the loyalty of one of its oldest customers and one of the world's strongest watch brands in 1936. A half million Omega watches were in production at any one time in the factory, and 9 million of the company's products are reported to have been in current use in that year. Patek Philippe, Bacheron Constantine, Audemars Piguet, each of the big three has been seduced by the goodness of the LaMagna caliber CH27. Uh, manufacturer, now it's made by Breguet. Believe it or not, are the auspices of SSIH, Group Horologer Breguet, or indeed Manufacturer Breguet, as it has now become under the Swatch umbrella. Swatch owns Breguet. The point is that the movement enjoys a history of considerable gravity, having survived one industrial onslaught after another. In fact, not just survived, but thrived, garnering respect to the industry's leading producers. Beautiful. I'm looking at the movement up close, really pretty. Two watches that spring to mind from the LaMagna CH27 variants of the Patek Fleet Perpetual Calendar, reference 3970, introduced in the 80s, the Omega Speedmaster from 1957 to 65, and then found in the Speedmaster Professional from 1965 to 68. It is therefore known for powering what we all call the Moon Watch. Each commands fiercely without devout armies of collectors, and deservedly so, although they're being related by a common caliber is incidental to their adulation by the watch collecting fraternity. Everything about the value of these watches flows from one source, the authenticity of their heritage. Omega Speedmaster and Patek Philippe 3970 share the same blueprint. One only need to hold these two movements side by side to exactly how similar they are. They're like twins. It's the perfect conjunction of the functional aspect. Uh, let's see. On one hand, we have a very high-grain hand-finished product made in Geneva. On the other hand, we have a sturdy, reliable, expeditionary watch. We expect the metal finishing to be different, but to conclude that beautiful back black polishing and beveled edges is where Paddock's inventions, interventions start and end is to miss the point. 
one detail we should all look at. Look at the spot in the paddock where the Omega has the 321 stamp. The paddock has a Geneva seal. From this, we know the entire caliber was completely reworked. Provision 9 of the Geneva seal technical requirements state that in order to qualify, a movement must have solid bankings. The Omega 321 and other Lamagna 27 derivatives have banking pins specifically excluded by the Geneva regulations. There's no minor details. Uh, as manifested by Paddock, it was required to be entirely remanufactured if not supplied in a different format to its relative. If you are going to remanufacture something as profound as a base plate, why would you stop there? One doesn't rebuild a Lotus chassis from scratch without, without also attending the coachwork and upholstery. Working our way clockwise from the balance, we see how paddock's balance spring is freely mounted with an index or curb pins. And I don't want to get too technical. The chronograph drive wheel is soundly and expensively mounted in its own frame, not cantilevered in midair as the Lamagna base caliber. The clutch has become pivoted around a proper bearing boss mounted, yada, yada. One has to look at the caliber with a degree of insight to realize it becomes it has the same origins as a 321. Uh, okay, so they look the same, but what it's saying here is that Paddock finishes and makes things better. They took the whole thing apart, completely redid pieces of it to make it much better. That's what a fine watchmaker does when they buy an Ebosh from a different manufacturer. I'm looking at the Omega and it has their plates are all that copper color like Omega is. And it says 321 and it looks pretty close. I'll tell you, they look very similar, these two, but I do see major differences and Paddock has redone it. So, you know, that's why a Paddock's going to be much, much more expensive than, a, than an Omega anyhow. Hmm. Okay, so the the ones the movements that were given to Paddock were prepared in a special oversized format to allow for Paddock's extensive hand finishing. You can't properly black polish or grain a steel part that's already the size because you'd be making it too small. Okay. Another aspect of the discussion reverts one more time to the Geneva seal. You can only get it if it's made in Geneva. If it was supplied more or less ready to go by Lamagna, it wouldn't qualify for the Geneva seal. So that says it's been remanufactured within Geneva. People say 60% of the caliber was rebuilt by Paddock. Um, is what Paddock says, quote, in 1986, Paddock okay. Philippe opened a new chapter in its legacy of chronographs by presenting the manu famous manually wound caliber CH27-70 based on a Lemagne movement blank produced exclusively for Paddock Philippe and completely reworked in the manufacturer. So you're going to say to me, what's the difference? Well, when they remake it, it's a much finer piece. But guess what? It's going to cost a hell of a lot more. And the original movement is nothing to sneeze at. It's excellent the way it is. They just made it much better. Okay, we're going to, I guess, take a break here. Or in about a minute or less. We will take a nice break. 
So let's see what else it says. I'm reading through this because I don't want to bore you with everything because it's extremely technical. Uh, Professor Bernard Humber, professor of special chronograph courses in Beale, wrote, quote, Technical progress has not bypassed the manufacture of levers and springs for chronographs and goes on to conclude that the specialist chronograph makers in which Lemagne was one of the foremost produced a quality product combining, combining nicely finished parts with precision and quote, they have a right to the gratitude of the horological world. Uh, here's another guy. This is a master watchmaker, Peter Roberts. By the 1940s, there were quite a number of well-developed chronograph movements available. Developed jointly by Lemagne and Omega, working together on a project called 27CHRO C12 to develop a 27 millimeter diameter chronograph with a 12 hour register. Albert Piguet and James Raymond produced a surprisingly small, slim hour recording chronograph. Their caliber 2310 was a new design um, called Caliber 321 by Omega. The caliber 2310 was a column wheel design with a screwed balance oscillating 18,000 beats per hour. Uh, the cam switching Lamagna 1872 family replaced the 2310 for most applications beginning in 1968. Interesting. All right, we have to take a quick break. I do apologize. Uh, I do want to get to some other stuff, so don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. So we're talking about the movement made by Lemagne for Gerard Perregaux, Patek Philippe, a whole bunch of goodies. Um, uh, so here's parts of the movement. What this watchmaker is saying, an expensive to manufacture addition is the multi-piece pivoted minute recorder jumper. The caliber used an overcoil balance spring with all envel enveloping distended curb pins for enhanced balance spring shock protection. All steel chronograph parts were nicely machined from heavy gauge material. Um, constantly friction loaded hour recorder mechanism, which releases on starting the chronograph, helped to balance the torque loads on the movement. Okay. As collectors and those who advise collectors, we find it gratifying that the scope of Lemagne's caliber is not heavily biased toward one end of the price scale. So here's the kind of thing. You could get an Omega Speedmaster Professional with that in it, and Vacheron used it too. I'm looking at a picture of Vacheron. I didn't realize it. Uh, paddock split. Here, a paddock split second chronograph reference 5004 is $2.6 that's pounds. Same movement. You could get a 1990s Vacheron Constantine Les, Les Historique for around 12,000 pounds. Or an Audemars Piguet Jules Audemars Tourbillon chronograph for 120,000, all based on this movement. So the movement was used by some of the best manufacturing movement enhancers in the business. Enhancements included column wheel caps, chronograph drive wheels, Mounted between pivot, bridges, 
extra jewels or end stones, free sprung balance wheels, and some glorious hand finishing. Of course, none of this makes the movement function more effectively, but when called upon for its finest and greatest task, the trip to the moon, the La Mania movement went along in its pure and unenhanced form. So I'm seeing it by Audemars, Paddock. I didn't realize that it had been used by this many manufacturers. Wow. So when I talked to Ricky about it, he told me, get the La Mania. Get the, get the La Mania, baby. Don't wait. Get the La Mania. Yeah. Uh, here's a La Mania with that. Here's a La Mania chronograph. They want 4,700 and they're very plain looking. It's called a La Mania 9601. There's another one, 9702. So they, oh no, this is a Boucher. You know, Boucher is, Boucher is a jewelry company that makes watches too. And they have one in theirs. Uh, let's see. It was in the Royal Air Force. Double pusher, vintage military chronograph. So it was there too. Britain used it too. From 1975 to 1976 for two years. 40 millimeter, high grade movement. 1872. Uh, this watch was issued for only two years in a very limited production. 250 pieces a year with only 500 pieces ever produced. as one of the most desirable, good looking, rare military watches. Just La Mania. It's a big round case, plain black dial. Nice looking though. Nothing wrong with it. Beauty. I mean, I like it. 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 I love it. I love it. Tissot puts it in their watches too. Um, they're in all kinds of stuff. Lamagna is a big chronograph maker, but Omega used Lamagna's a lot, a lot. Okay. Let's stop talking about this. Let's talk about, um, Let's see. You want to know how thick this watch is? Because it's fairly thick. My uh, Richeville chronograph. Here's how thick it is. It is almost 11 millimeters thick. 10, no, I take it back. With the crystal, 10.3 millimeters. So it's pretty, pretty thick. So you know you got something on your wrist when you're wearing this bugger. I'll tell you, it's not super heavy. It just feels really good. One thing about Gerard Perigo, their fit and finish is really nice. And if you look at their pricing... I said this last time, they are not cheap at all. Okay, let's let's look. G-I-R. Gerard Perigo chronograph. Why not? Let's see what they have. Chronograph. Here we go. Gerard Perigo chronograph. Let's see what they got. Okay, here's a Richeville for 6000 Here's all the older Richevilles. I want to see newer stuff, though. Here's an antique. I told you that's how I started with, with an old Gerard Perigo chronograph. Isn't that wild? That's really how I started. But they had Baljou in the earlier ones. They did not use the Lamagnas in their earlier ones that I've seen. Okay, so this one has an Excelsior Park movement. It's an older one. Here's a 2750. Here's a World War II. That's what I had was a World War II. Now, they had Ferrari chronos, but I don't know what was in them. So let's take a look. There are three register chronos. Maybe it'll tell me. Maybe not. Can't hurt to look, can it? <coughs> no, these people don't know what they have. <coughs> they don't know. 
That can help you if they don't know, because if you do, you could get a better deal. So you got to keep that in mind. Just because they don't know, you have to do all of the legwork to figure it out. Here's a nice Ferrari chronograph. It's $19.99. It's cheap compared to these refills are expensive as hell. Uh, it doesn't say what's in it. Nope. Just says chronograph, 36 millimeter. I don't know what it is, what's in it. They're not telling you. They don't know. They're not watch aficionados like us. 1960 chrono. Here's a Laureato chrono, $4,000. I like the Laureato design. I think it's very cool. Okay, I don't know what's in it, but I, this might tell me since it's a newer watch. Nope. Excuse me, it doesn't say anything. No, we can't figure it out. So I don't want to waste your time, but you're talking a lot of money. You could get a nice, here's a nice yellow dial Ferrari uh, chronograph, 1782. So you could actually do better price-wise than the Richville, but you won't have the design. You know, to me, round chronos are a dime a dozen. There's so many of them. Here's one in, in uh, uh, looks like titanium to me, 1750. There's one in the box, 2700. They're not, a, I mean, they're reasonably priced compared to everybody else. Now, here's a 7000. This is the one I like from the 90s. I think it's a really smart looking design, 1100 with the band and everything. And here's a two tone, beautiful for 2200. It's a good looking watch. That was from the 90s when they first started to really get their sea legs under them for designs and really took off. There's another one, 7,000, 1,600, Ferrari. GP got a hold of Ferrari, and they started bringing out the Ferrari watches, and that's what really catapulted them to the top of the division of watches in general. It really helped them a lot. They got a big name after doing that. Here's that 7,000 again. I really like it. I had one. I really liked it. Good looking watch, but this is better looking. Mine doesn't look like a utilitarian watch at all. Looks much nicer than that. Much nicer. Uh, okay, here's a nice, here's a, here's a square 1945 GP. That's their line. Chrono, two reg. I'll bet you it's the same thing. Oh, no, it says automatic. That means it's got the ETA movement in it. Yeah, if it's automatic, it has the ETA. Let's see. Does it say? No. It does not. Nope, does not. A lot of times they don't know and they don't care. I mean, it's not interesting to them. Okay, so let's get, let's get off of this for a couple minutes. I want to talk about the plant buckles. I really like the plant clasps or buckles. I'm going to go on. Uh, you, I mean, you can buy them for under 20 bucks and they're so nice and they save my bands. Now, if you think about a watch band where it always wears out first is where the buckle and the tongue goes through the hole. It always starts to tear there and wear really hard. If you put on an appliant buckle, it takes away the stress from there. And I'm going to tell you, since I've been using deployment buckles, I have not changed the watch band. They don't wear out like they did before. It makes such a huge difference. I can't tell you. Now, I'm going to go on Amazon because that's where I usually get them. Deployant clasp, they call it, or buckle. 
Okay, and we only have about a minute left, so I'm just going to talk quick. 10 bucks, 11 bucks. Text News, iStrap, iStrap I've used, they're good. Here's what you got to look for with these dumb things. Is there a button to release it? Some of them don't have a button, and I really don't like that where it clicks in because I think it could give out. Like Hadley Roma has a nicely made one, but they want 40 bucks. And I use the ones for 10, and they're just as fine as everything else. Now they come plated, so you can get them in yellow gold, you can get them in red, rose gold, you can get them in stainless. I use usually the stainless unless it's a gold watch and I get a gold plated one. I'm not going to pay for the original because they want so much money. Like if I went to show part and said, I want to deploy a buckle in 18 karat gold, it would cost me an absolute fortune. So these things are really nice. What you have to do is you have to figure out where the buckle fits on your band. What is the width? Is it 16, 18, 20? That's what these things go by. When it says 16 millimeter, that's what they're talking about. And I mistakenly said, well, wait a minute, the band's 20, so it's a 20. No, no, no. It's where the band hooks up to the buckle. That's what you have to measure. Now, you can also buy bands with the deployment buckle already in. That's not a bad idea either. But we're running out of time, so we're going to have to talk about this next time. I do apologize. I really do. I thank you for listening, for being there. Thank you all. Have a great time. Happy collecting, kids. Get yourself a Richville, will you please? Okay, America's Finest Watchman, signing off. Catch me on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Lee Jackson Watches at gmail.com. See you later, gang.